entertainment changed a lot in 2020 because of COVID and other factors and the awesome people of entertainment changed with it. Some people are thriving right now. I wanted to cover conversations with some people who are achieving something great under the circumstances so that we can raise the bar for everybody. I want entertainment to thrive and I want people in entertainment to thrive. So my hope is that following these conversations and understanding how people are finding their success will help everybody to look up and to try to achieve more using the tools that are available. So um, the reason I wanted to talk to you was because I was thinking about, I, I, um, I see you as a person who really specializes in comedy and being funny and you spend a lot of your time doing it. I would say that that is a fair assessment of me. Yeah. So um, I think this is, for me, I, I feel like I pursue like a polymath thing a lot and try to do, be a jack of all trades. And I'm constantly excited about new skills and new pursuits and new projects. And um, the unfulfilling part about that is that I don't, I don't see myself progressing forward and sometimes I don't feel like I'm a master of something. So I was wondering, do you see yourself as like, as somebody who's dedicated to one thing? That's a great question. Uh, the short answer, oh boy, there's, there is no short answer. So Good. the medium length answer starts when I was in college. Uh, I, I, I remember specifically, like, as I was approaching graduation, you know, like, I was like, oh, what, what am I going to do? You know, I was, the things that I considered doing were uh, being a teacher, both my parents were teachers, so I considered getting an education degree. I was getting, at one point, a math major, which I eventually uh, stopped enjoying uh, and being good at math as much as I had been, so I made it a math minor. So I thought maybe I'll be a math teacher. Maybe I, I got a psychology degree, so I was like, maybe I'll be a counselor of some kind. Maybe I'll get a, a graduate degree of some kind, you know, social work or uh, a doctorate or a master's. Uh, and, but then also, I had been playing music my whole life and had only in the past several years started really loving doing that. And, you know, the same way that for applying to colleges, I feel like people are like, you have some reach schools and you have some safety schools and you have some ones that, you know, could go either way. And so my reach, like, aspiration was uh, music, was at this point, I'd been playing guitar and writing songs uh, for a bunch. Uh, like for like just uh, the past, you know, from when I was 15, I started teaching myself guitar and just started writing songs a bunch and playing them around college. And I was like, if I could have this be my career, like that's what I want. I want to be like a singer songwriter, touring, recording. That's what I want to do to the point that like I was, I didn't study music in college because I didn't want it to become an obligation. I didn't want it to become uh, what I had to do. So like I, I joined a choir, I joined an acapella group, but ultimately I left, I felt like I was being pulled in all these directions. I was like, it feels like I, you know, which one, if I want to move forward in one direction, it felt like uh, I was putting like 20% into five different directions. And so therefore 
wasn't moving at all, um, yeah. which probably wasn't wasn't true, but that's what it felt like. Right. But I I decided my senior year that I was 21, that I was able to like go out and get into bars where I could perform my music, which is what I wanted to do. Like I I left the acapella group that I had like auditioned for like I think five times before I even got in my junior year was in it for a year and loved it but it took up more I was like this isn't what I want to do with my I don't want to be in my college acapella group for my life though I mean at this point I'd be like oh that sounds like fun but uh I was like I really wanted to build my own solo performing music career and I was like oh, I get I want to spend dedicate the time necessary to do that to go out to open mics to go find where to perform uh, which is ultimately what led me to comedy. Like my, the first, so I would say that my first, the first thing that I was uh, good at was, was music, was like, the, I played the violin since I was four. My, I was sort of made to take music lessons and theory classes and join orchestras and quartets and uh, master classes for like every, every weekend for my, most of my child life. Um, and like I didn't love it until I didn't have to do it, and then I did love it, and uh, so then that and that is why like that I felt good to pursue that, and then I start I went to grad school mostly uh, in in one way mostly to allow myself more time to not have to decide what the thing that I was pursuing would be because to allow myself more time in the Boston area to go out and find more. Uh, more open mics, more venues where I could do my music, which was then shifting to, as I discovered that comedy was what I sometimes was doing and then wanted to do. Uh, and I, I, I was able to find So way you were more. getting up, you were doing stand-up comedy or music comedy? Uh, good question. Uh, one which shifted into the other. I, I started, I performed, so my, my senior year of college was 1999-2000. And I went to a bunch of music open mics first. And then I also found the Comedy Studio, which is a comedy club uh, that is now in Somerville, Massachusetts, was in Cambridge then. And I just, I asked them if I could come there and play some songs because I had funny songs. I was like, can I play funny songs at your comedy club? And I, I was able to. And then like in between the songs, I would like do what I would now call riffing. And then I would call talking until people stopped laughing. Um, and and that's that was like planting the seeds of my like wanting to do comedy because initially i was just like this is just another place where i can go to do music and so between 1999 and 2002 i probably performed at the comedy studio like a single digit number of times like i didn't get booked a lot i was mainly performing at music open mics and things but every once in a while I would get to be on a night there and it was just so much fun. But I was like a comedy tourist or hobbyist at the time. I was pursuing music until 2002 when I'd sort of started writing jokes and I'm like, I kind of want to expand the amount of time if I'm, instead of doing like two songs during a set, I want to do like, I'll do like one quick song at the end, but like, I want to try out all these jokes. I want to, and that, that is, so I, I 2002 is when I say I started doing comedy because that's when I started going to comedy open mics, even though I would still bring the guitar with me because the only way that I knew how to end a set 
good uh, was by playing, you know, this short, one of a few different short songs that I'm like, these ones work, you know? Yeah. So I do four minutes of jokes that don't work and one <laughs> song that kind of does, you know, uh, little by little improving. And so I, I now, now I've been doing comedy, you know, since 2002. Uh, and I did like focus all of my, you know, sort of creative energy resources into that. Um, and I now, like, I still have a guitar. I still like write music and record music and enjoy playing music. Uh, my mom uh, gave me a, uh, me and my girlfriend now have a uh, keyboard that uh, I don't play all the time, but like I, I never specifically learned, but other than teaching myself a little, but I want to do that. So I, I also, if I had infinite time, you know, uh, if a day, if a day was longer, uh, which it's funny because, you know, like, oh, okay, the day is a hundred hours now. So in any given hundred hour day, like, I mean, there's, the things that I love doing involve, you know, writing and uh, and making music and like walking outside and reading and, you know, listening to podcasts and learning things like there's there's more things that can be done, more things than can be done in a lifetime, you know, and so we get to I like to think of it as get to we get to choose like what we are, what are the most important things to do? And I mean, even having this conversation with you now, we're having because uh, you asked me if we could and I wanted to. And uh, there's a, a fortunate uh, uh, coincidence is that on Fridays, which today is Friday, uh, a friend of mine, norm normally at 3 p.m., I would uh, go to a writing workshop that where a friend gives a bunch of us uh, poems as prompts, and then we read those poems and then write for 20, 25 minutes and then share what we've come up with and then, you know, offer uh, constructive, uh, you know, uh, generous responses to everybody mm -hmm. else's stuff. And it's just like a, a supportive uh, environment for creating whatever you want to create. That's something that I didn't do before the pandemic that, uh, I feel like now, there, it, now in so many ways, without, without the future being like as quote unquote certain as it seemed like it was at some point, <laughs> like, oh no, like in school, like, you know, do this and then you get a degree and then you get a job or even in comedy, you know, like work and eventually you'll have funny jokes and then people will hire you and then you can try to, <laughs> if you want a writing job, you can do this. If you want to act, you can do this. If you want to yeah. perform around the country or around the world, then here there's various steps to different kinds of paths but right now. Uh, you know, I feel like I asked people online today uh, on behalf of my girlfriend who read a hundred books, 101 books so far this year. She's like, I wonder how many books other people are reading. And like the answers are like kind of a pendulum between some people that are like, I've read over a hundred and some people that are like, I couldn't read one, you know, uh, Rini. Oh, um, Rini, my girlfriend, says that uh, some people suggest she should get a hobby, um, and she does have one, which <laughs> is reading. Um, also knitting. There's a lot going on. Uh, that person should get a hobby of not judging um, or whatever they want to do. But uh, I feel like during during this time, you know, I I have been 
like it, up until up until the pandemic, I was I had I released a new album this year that I'd recorded last year, and I had a new hour of comedy that I was working on touring that I was going to bring to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in August, as I brought the last one two years ago. Uh, and now I still have that. Now that's sort of on hold, you know, that I will, I plan to bring it there next year, the next year, when, whenever it is, you know, possible and safe and healthy and, uh, and happening. And, but in the meantime, over the past eight months, I haven't been like working that show. I haven't been doing those jokes. I've been like, it's, it's, it didn't seem like the thing to do to tell people like, Hey, you know, uh, two years ago, I thought this, and now it's important to, for me to tell you that, uh, as opposed to now I'm just, most of the shows that I'm doing, I'm doing some elements of riffing and being in the moment and just being present and I'm, I'm writing things and they're, they're coming up, you know, I'm from show to show, like people might see some of the same, uh, ideas and topics and, things yeah. uh, you are running this conversation what <laughs> you're right when did you when did you land on like um doing co comedy deciding like this is the thing is um, that do you did you ever do that did you ever decide yes uh so in my linguistics grad student days a thing that i learned about linguistics is that uh it's about studying studying how people do speak as opposed to prescribing. It's about describing how people speak as opposed to prescribing how people ought speak. You know, people might be like, oh, please don't use your linguistics degree to tell me I'm doing things wrong. I'm like, well, hmm. actually, that's not what linguistics is about. So you're doing things wrong. But um, <laughs> similarly, the way that I discovered that I love doing comedy was I by happenstance, like incidentally, organically. I found myself at a comedy club in between songs uh, saying things that people were laughing at. And so a joke that I'll tell sometimes is when people say, when did you know that you wanted to do comedy? I said, a little bit after I started doing comedy because I, I found myself doing something and I'm like, what is it that I'm doing because I'm enjoying it? Like I didn't mm -hmm. know that this was a thing to strive for. So it's all, all been like sort of the same way that uh, like, you know, the way that gratitude works is if you, you know, if you, if there's ever a time that you've been happy, if there's anything that's brought you joy or peace or made you feel productive or like you had achieved something, like, what was that? Be like, oh, I'm glad mm -hmm. that that happened. And can I recreate the circumstances, you know, or perpetuate those circumstances? So I would say somewhere between 1999 and 2002 is when I decided that I wanted to keep trying to make happen on purpose the thing that was happening accidentally that I was enjoying and other people at times audiences were seeming to enjoy and then I learned then I then I very like I, I wouldn't say that I have that I I'm, I'm not clinically uh, diagnosed with OCD but I would say that on the spectrum of obsessiveness and compulsiveness like I I have some tendencies that sometimes serve me well in focusing on one, one task, one idea. And so I started keeping notebooks full of jokes. I started meticulously, you know, going to open mics and trying them. 
And I under I started like reading books by comedians and watching, you know, documentaries and, you know, now like listening to podcasts and all kinds of things. And like all of the interviews, all the all the things that older comedians that experienced, you know, successful comedians said, the main thing was just do it. Just get on stage, write and perform, write and perform, listen back, watch your sets, edit, and just keep doing that. And so I understand, and they're like, there was a thing, a movie called Open Mic that Richard, Jenny, uh, and a bunch of other comedians were like interviewed about their open mic days. And Richard Jenny said something like, if in the beginning you feel like you suck and everyone's telling you you suck and audiences, every audience sucks. He's like, you're probably on the right track. So like I understood that it, there was no guarantee of getting better and there was no uh, like, and so that was actually freeing to be like, okay, this is, this is the way it's supposed to be. So I'll put in, I'd heard other people be like, give it, give your dream 10 years. And if you haven't achieved it in 10 years, then maybe get a different dream or something. You know, <laughs> I think, I think Eugene Merman said something like that, that I liked, yeah. but so I was like, well, I'm right now I was in grad school. I was fortunately living for free as a resident assistant, you know, in exchange for doing that work. Uh, I had a job at the Barnes Noble Cafe as a barista. I eventually got like a linguistics job at this technology company uh, that was very flexible in terms of hours. I could do them like 10 in one day if I wanted to and then like travel or if I needed to. And so all of that sort of combined to allow me to like go out most nights in Boston where I was living and do comedy and and just have in mind that like I'll keep having all of the jobs that I need to to support my my financial needs and then little by little my understanding is like if i get better then i'll be able to you know get 25 bucks for this show or 50 bucks for this or 100 bucks this weekend traveling to different places around and so the desire to do it yeah was sort of it was it was all kind of the same way that sometimes you know you you there's a new a new comedian you're like wow an overnight success that has been in the making for 10 years because it's everything is gradual until you know you know who the person is and so similarly i think that my desire to do comedy came like you know there was like an initial spark and then it was just like well let's just see what we can do to foster that spark and uh increase and improve it and myself so yeah somewhere <laughs> gradually from 1999 until now <laughs> do you um what do you feel is a good comedian uh what do i feel is a good comedian what do you think is uh my linguistics might not be perfect but you oh, can't sure. criticize them uh what do you <laughs> yeah what do you think is a good what's the bar for you sure sure uh i think that my initial goal was to become a working comedian by, in my mind, that meant only doing comedy and not having other jobs. Uh, and that is something that is not necessarily within my control or within anybody's control because we don't create the economy. We don't create, you know, mm -hmm. almost anything. Uh, so I wouldn't say that that's my, my bar now. It, I would say that kind of even beyond for a, a good comedian, I would say like the best artists of any kind, the best musicians, the best comedians, the best dancers, like let's say music and comedy, the ones that I'm most familiar with, like 
at the the epitome, the the upper echelons are people who, uh, like Reggie Watts. Is he a musician? Is he a comedian? Is he a performance artist? Whatever he is, he's Reggie Watts. Like he's the best Reggie Watts that there is, and there's nobody that's like competing with him as himself, you know? There's certainly other people who do beatboxing or, you know, use looping for their vocals in music and or comedy. Like there are there are people who I'm like, oh, like Drennan Davis is a wonderful, you know, fantastic performer that if I was, you know, if one of them committed a crime and somebody was like, hey, the the criminal was an amazing artist who uses loops and beatboxes, be like, well, round up <laughs> Reggie and Drennan. And right. uh, maybe it's one of them or somebody like them. But I mean, they're both, you know, uniquely themselves in the same yeah. way that, you know, uh, like Maria Bamford is the Maria Bamfordiest and Paul of Tompkins mm -hmm. is the Paul of Tompkinsiest and Dave Chappelle is the Dave Chappelleiest. And so I feel like the that is i think the mark of like the a great artist is that they are themselves uniquely uh for a comedian also i mean you might want them to be like funny but that could be subjective but uh like i mean even carlin at times you know one of the most influential you know uh oft quoted as like the the favorite of of your favorite comedians and if you look at some of his some of his specials there's like long stretches where there's not laughter because he's you know kind of being a poet in a in a moment or for minutes at a time because right. i think lenny bruce once said i'm not a comedian i'm lenny bruce and i feel like that is that is the epitome of most like brilliant artists is that they're not a category of thing they are themselves right and what it, um I call that a brand, but you call it being a comedian. Uh, or being yeah, a good I, comedian. <laughs> yeah, I would call it being a good comedian. For me, like how far on the spectrum do you think Mike Kaplan is to being Mike Kaplan the -ist? That's a uh, that's I think I'm the the most Mike Kaplan-y that I've ever been. Uh, so, I think I'm I'm certainly 18 years farther along than I was 18 years ago. Um a joke that I tell people sometimes now is uh, like, this is a, a thing that can't, I forget now, which is what's the truth exactly of this situation or, and what, what have I imagined? But mm -hmm. for sure, I know that like, I, here's my level of like notoriety is uh, it's relative, be, like the same way that uh, I have a friend who's a Buddhist who shared with me that, um, Imagine three mountains north to south, one furthest north, the other furthest south. And if you ask about the middle one, is the middle one further north or further south? Well, well it depends which one you're talking about, you know? Is, is my finger big or small? Is it compared to a mountain or is it compared to an atom? Like, everything is relative. So my level of success, my level of fame, uh, my level of, you know, being, my level of being myself is unparalleled. There's very few people who are myself, um, <laughs> as much as I am. And so everyone, here's the level that I have, my, my level of notoriety. This is the joke, something like, uh, there are people who are surprised that I write them back when they email me they're like i can't believe you're writing me back and there's other people that are like upon hearing this i can't believe that people email you or 
there could be two <laughs> friends on a street. I feel like this might have happened one. This is the one that I'm not sure. Like uh, two people see me and one of them's like, oh my God, Mike Kaplan. I love this guy. Do you know Mike Kaplan? He's a famous comedian. And the other person's like, no. <laughs> uh, so, which is, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for all that I have accomplished, uh, that all I've, you know, all the, I've been able to make my living as a comedian, uh, my initial goal since around, I think, I don't, don't think I've had another job since around 2008. Uh, I've been able to, you know, just make my living touring and releasing albums and, you know, whatever, whatever else has come my way via comedy. And I mean, that is, there's more comedians that most people have never heard of and will never hear of. And, you know, there's billions of people that haven't heard of me and I'm entirely fine with that. Like, I'd love to be, uh, I'd love to be known by as many people as would love me you know that's i'd i'd love for if if you there's certainly people out there who haven't heard of me who like every you know every year like if i put out a new album or if i'm on a new podcast like i'll i'll get new fans and they'll be like where where have you been and i'm like well i've been here you know where where have, i'm glad that you're here now as well so i mean i <laughs> do you uh, how do you how do you feel about your position as a comedian in the world? Uh, I'm super grateful. Uh, I'm, I like, I think the biggest shift in, in the way that I have, you know, lived and worked as a comedian was uh, probably 2010 when I did last comic standing where uh, before that it was very rare for anyone to be coming to see me specifically. Like I just started headlining maybe a year or so before that, and I'd been on TV a little bit, you know, five minutes here, five minutes there. And those were like credits that were used to attract people to be like, oh, this person's been on this show, so come see him. Like, well, I don't know who that is, but I've heard of that show. And Last Comic Standing was the first time that people started to come see me because they had seen me. And they're like, I want to go see you. Um, and so still to this day there are people who come to see my shows that are like i first saw you on last comic standing and so i'm grateful that that happened and that now like every you know wherever i go sometimes there are still people who are just coming out to see a comedy show but more and more uh i'm doing like i'll do independent shows at like a rock club or a theater or you know the basement of a video store wherever I'm invited to that they're like, we're going to get people here to see you. And so like, as the ratio gets higher and higher of audience members who are there to see me, I am, you know, more and more grateful for that opportunity. Um, and like, cause I know there's so many people who would be thrilled to be where I am, you know, metaphorically, mm -hmm. emotionally, creatively, career wise. And, I can certainly look at people and be like, oh, wow, look, like look at people who, you know, there are people with more Twitter followers than I have. There are people with uh, a wider platform at this point. But uh, I'm I'm glad to be where I am to like we're all in, you know, the we're all in my initial end zone of like, oh, this is doing creating the comedy that I want to create uh, and making making a living from it. Yeah. Well how do you, it seems like every time I interact with you, you are saying funny things, whether you're, whether I'm talking to you or 
you are sending a short email or whatever, there's always funny stuff in it. Do you feel a, do you ever feel a burden to be funny? Like, do you ever feel like that's what people are going to expect of you because you're a full-time comedian and that's what, that's what you're dedicated to? That's a great question that I'm happy to answer. The, uh, the short answer is no. Uh, I don't feel it is a burden. And uh, oh, like man. when somebody runs into you on the street and they recognize you as a comedian, then you have like, you're like, who is my, wait, am I in my persona that they expect me to be? Do you, I don't know. How do so, you, how oh, do you no, navigate I, that social? Yeah. I have a lot to say about this. Uh, I think that when I started out, my goal was to like, I didn't you know, I didn't know exactly. Like, I didn't know if I would succeed as a comedian. I just knew all I could do was do the work, which was to think of things, observe things, record things, and then, you know, purvey them. And I think that I did it so much, and I still do, that I did get good at being the comedian that I am to the point that now, like, there are, it's, it's, I find, I find this funny that I'm now, I'm having this conversation with you and imagining people watching it or listening to it where I'm like, I'm just so confident that, you know, because I, and again, not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be arrogant that like I'll always be able to come up with something funny in any situation, but that I have found so much joy. I have created so many things thus far, descriptively speaking, uh, and the best, you know, uh, what is it? The best like indication of what the future is going to be is what the past was. And so like, I'm, I'm not making any claims to being, uh, to being capable of being funny, just the past. The past is the thing that's claiming that I could be funny because I was funny. And here I was in the middle of this thinking like, the thing that I thought was really funny is I don't, I didn't initially think that what I was answering, how I was answering this question was particularly funny, but that's okay because you weren't asking me to be funny. You were asking me about being funny. And just that is, again, freeing. Like if I'm on stage, it might be quote unquote important to be funny. I, I might be there telling people like, hey, here are, you can't, you paid to see a show and here is the show. But even that, even that, like my favorite ways to perform are to not know exactly everything that I'm going to say because some of the most fun I have is discovering something new in the moment. And like, that's a magical kind of thing that certain audiences get to experience. Uh, and more when they're like an audience willing to be open to that, be like, well, I don't know what this is going to be, as opposed to this better be funny. This has got to be, you just do, just do the thing. You've been funny before, do it, do it again. Be funny again right now. And so I don't even feel an obligation to be funny on stage. So <laughs> I certainly don't feel a burden to be funny to a person walking down the street. <laughs> you don't... I I find that hard to believe you because you don't seem like you're just like I'm just gonna get out there and express myself you're very object I'm sorry we, we've gone over time I don't want to oh no I'm, I'm happy a few to keep more going if you'd like okay. yeah all right um you don't seem like 
you don't seem like you're just a subjective, like this is comedy, whether you laugh or not kind of person. No, no, I, I'm excited to ha be having this conversation because like I'm not when I talked saying... to you, I, when I interviewed you before, you talked about ping pong and you talked about responding to the audience. So you're definitely responding to something with some goal. Oh, yes. And to be clear, when I say I don't feel an obligation to be funny on stage, perhaps that there's one sense in which that's an exaggeration. But there's another sense in which it's really, I think what I'm saying hinges on the distinction between I have to be funny for this audience or I want to be and I get to be. And the way that I often get to be is by not feeling that I have to be. That, yeah. you know, like that with relationships, uh, the classic advice of, you know, like you'll you'll find what you're looking for when you stop looking, you know, whatever that thing is. Uh, and ju just when you least suspect it, audience, just what you know, I'll I'll find something funny here, maybe or I won't. And that'll be OK. Good night. You know, and so. Yeah. I. I do, and here's the thing, like, if I'm being, let's say, hired, like, to perform for not just my audience, if somebody is like, hey, come in and do this corporate event or this festival or a TV taping, like, you know, when I go on TV, I'm not just finding things in the moment necessarily. Right. I am sometimes a little, but I'm, you know, doing a set that has been planned. I'm, I'm preparing and respecting the the environment and the producers and the audience. And I think it's a matter of, in some ways, uh, ex what is the expectation? Like, like I said, my favorite audiences are ones that are like, we trust you to do whatever you want to do because we came to see you and you're you, which could sometimes mean I'm like, well, let me follow this thread of a thought down a path that I've never gone before, which I think, based on my experience uh, of finding it valuable to follow such threads, like, but every once in a while, I'll get to the end of such a thread and be like, well, there was nothing here. I guess let's go back the way we came and find the next thread, like a, a choose your own adventure where you were like, well, I thought this was the way to go. But, and so the, the more I do that, like, uh, like it used to be, I think I got good early on at, at telling jokes that didn't work and then succeeding despite that, or, it, you know, like right after I, I, if it was just coming up with savers that worked uh, at an open mic to be like, well, if you didn't think that one was good, uh, you're right. You know, but what, <laughs> whatever it might be, um, I think getting closer and closer to, you know, who I would become. And, uh, and part of that is being, comfortable on stage part of that is being confident part of that is like knowing who i am a little more like it's all relative like it's not that i feel no obligation but i feel like there are definitely some comedians who are like i have to do this when yeah. they don't even have to do comedy um <laughs> like i really do feel like it's all it it's all coming from a place of get to and right and so bit to answer your question of do i feel I really sincerely, like, I love making people laugh. Like, I was, one thing, 
uh, and I don't mean to keep you longer than you want to be kept as well, but I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> my, my girlfriend's grandmother died a year or two ago. It's hard to tell with pandemic time uh, in intervening, but at a time when we could visit, she lived in Florida and uh, her funeral was there. And so we went and I had, I, I was meeting some of my girlfriend's relatives for the first time. I'd met some of them. Uh, but like, for example, I remember my girlfriend's aunt Annette. I think that's the first time that I met this woman uh, who I now, she comes to a lot of my online shows. She's like, you know, I feel like as much of a friend as my girlfriend's aunt can be. Uh, she's a very sweet lady. And my girlfriend had, my girlfriend Rini had shared with me that this woman was this warm presence in her life. And so I was, you know, it was sort of bittersweet to get to meet her at a time when she was like at her saddest, she had just lost her mother. But I found like at the reception, sort of, you know, after the service, as we were all kind of eating and talking and I was there in a supportive role, like listening, but every once in a while, there was like a person would say a thing that would like seem like an opening that I could be like, I think that this is an appropriate place to say something that will make this grieving person laugh. And it felt like a, a valuable service that I could provide. And it's like, you know, I wasn't trying to make light of the situation, but I was, it was something that it worked. Like my skills, as a comedian, were helpful in this environment in part because nobody was expecting me to do it. In part, yeah. like I wasn't there hired to perform and that wouldn't right. have been good if I were. And so the fact that there were no expectations, like that's, that, that's sort of an analogy I think that makes it, makes it clear. Like nobody's like, hey, you're a comedian. Where's your jokes at the funeral? Like, so, <laughs> but now, now this is funny where I'm like, oh yeah, hey, okay, here's my jokes at the funeral. <laughs> I was able to provide some respectful, enjoyable, in the moment, fun jokes at the funeral. What do you think is, um, what do you think is, a positive thing about specializing in comedy? Uh, that's a good question. I mean... Don't make it a good question. Oh. Just, I mean, ans just answer it. Well, the, the thing that I let's, mean... Let's do a lightning round. Here. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I want to say that when I say that's a good question, it usually means that I don't have an answer uh, right. prepared. So it's just vamping until I can say... I mean, I comedy... I love, I love comedy. I love helping people laugh. I love laughing. I love offering that. I love that when people say, thank you for the laughs, I can say, thank you for the laughs. That a laugh is something that each person is giving and receiving. Uh, and so I think specializing in comedy, lightning round answer, uh, is just something that allows me like immediate sometimes uh, insights into like joy and life and connection with other people. What's the downside? I mean, I think that there sometimes is an expectation, not that I will be funny uh, when people want me to, but that I might be when they don't want me to. Uh, and I haven't found this specifically because most of the people that I know know me not as a comedian, but know me as a human being, one aspect of which is for my work and for my joy, I do comedy. Uh, but sometimes 
I think that people don't understand if, you know, people who don't know me as well might not understand everything. People who you, know me well know, understand everything. Yeah. <laughs> you, um, you, I heard you recently talk about saying no to things and having boundaries and, um, and that's what you're doing constantly as a person who's dedicated to a, a thing. So, because you're just saying no to every like idea or side project or whatever that comes up that isn't going to help you with that thing. So, um, what's do you, can you think of an example recently of something that you might've, might've been excited about, but you said no to it because it doesn't help I can you. Do with you. The, One better. Uh, I'm 100% in the middle of a situation like that right now. In the past couple weeks, uh, somebody who uh, was a, is a producer of podcasts uh, reached out to me and was like, hey, we have a budget for uh, like sort of high concept podcasts. Like, do you have ideas? And, and we will pay you if we, you know, like I want to work with you. And, you know, there were, it would take a certain amount of time to, you know, construct an idea, to think of, you know, there, there's a lot of, there would be work involved with making this money. Um, and there's part of me that's like, oh, when, if, if you're offered uh, money, if you're up for a creative job, like, that's, that's the dream. Um, and yet, at the time of asking, like, I'm still... I haven't given, I haven't given a no. Like, and what I'm going to say is, I believe, like, the idea, he, he was like, it could be an idea like this or whatever you think, you know. Uh, he was like, I want it to be something that you care about and are passionate about and that you want to spend time getting to do. And I'm like, that sounds perfect. And still the answer might be that my time is already full of doing that in other manifestations in, like, the, I still, you know, in, I, I'm not playing the keyboard as much as I want to. I'm not, you know, uh, making another music album as quickly as I might want to or collaborating with a visual artist on jokes that I want to release as a book. Like there's so many things that I want to do that if somebody was like, here's unlimited funds, like make, what do you want to make happen? Like I have podcasts of my own already that I love doing. and And so the question of, what do I, do I want to do this new project that somebody like believes in me and likes my work and wants to work with me? Uh, like, and I, I want to say yes. And also there have been, there was one other time uh, that I was, I, I hosted a show that, uh, that was really fun to do. And I did a lot of riffing and it was being taped. And the idea was it was going to be, I believe, like sold to a Eurasian like station somewhere that they're like, we want American comedy. And so the idea was that I was going to host like 25 weeks in a row and make a good amount of money from doing that. And the idea that I was able to just like, I'm just riffing. That's amazing. And then they with that we made the pilot and the guy who the producer came back to me and was like, they actually preferred your like prepared bits more than your riffing. So what about that? And I was like, well, I actually don't want to do 25 weeks in a row of like 10 minutes of my prepared bits that that's a lot of that. 
20, 25, that's 250 uh, minutes. That's like four hours. That's like four albums worth. Like I don't always have four albums worth of material that I've created in my, like I have that much, but I don't have it all memory. I'd have to like go yeah. back and relearn things that already existed. And I was like, I kind of don't want to do it if that is the work. And yeah. the, the guy was surprised. I was like, yeah, I, I, I just, I want to spend my time creating new things, not relearning things <laughs> that I've already done. And so, so when that, yeah. When an opportunity like that comes up, do you make the decision on your own or do you ask other people for help? Uh, that's a good question. I do have a manager who I don't remember if I talked to him about this specifically. I probably did. Uh, and so for specifically like business logistics type things, um, I would, I'll talk to my manager who I've worked with for over a decade and is my friend and I respect him and he's very good at what he does. I also would, I'll talk to my girlfriend, uh, who I've been with for four and a half years and she like knows me and like knows what I, what I like and what I'm into and what, so she's a good sounding board. And then also, uh, my, uh, my good, good friend, uh, and yours, uh, Zach Sherwin is, uh, a comedy long time, bud of also, you know, now I've known him for multiple decades and we've been very good friends. Uh, I'd say best friends for more than one decade at least. And, uh, and he's a guy who also has lots of, you know, good specific ideas about being creative and, uh, and doing the work that we want to do uh, in life. And mm -hmm. uh, one other friend who I had also mentioned uh, that you might have heard me talk about recently, Chris Duffy, another just good comedian buddy who really has, has ideas and implements them and has good ideas for other people about their ideas and implementing them. So... Yeah, I, there's a lot of people, and that's just some. I, I won't keep listing all the people that I know and might talk to, but there's, there are a lot of people who I feel like I'm close to in life and in comedy and in show business and art creation that uh, ultimately I know that I'm the one who makes the decision, like that there's no... That's a thing that's always good to remember that there is no right answer like that. I'll get to the end of my life and look in the back of the teacher's manual and be like, oh, that was what I, I was supposed to do that show. Like if I'm the person deciding and I would rather do something than something else or not do something than not do something else, uh, then that is at the time the thing to do. Cool. Did, um, do you have fear when an opportunity comes up, when a new opportunity comes up? Um, to a degree, like something else that came up today or yesterday, uh, my, my agent uh, sent me an offer to perform live in Kansas City uh, in March. And I'm like, I don't know if, I don't think we'll, I, like vaccine wise, I don't know if it will be as safe and healthy to travel as possible. So there's a few other gigs that came up uh, as possibilities, like over the summer, in the early fall, that I was like, I'm gonna play it safer. My girlfriend has uh, asthma and this delicate lungs. And so if I, I'd rather take more time off than necessary, than get, get somewhere too soon, 
put us at risk and regret that. And also, each time that I say no to a performing opportunity, I'm like, I hope that they offer it again. I hope that I hope that it wasn't a one-time, this is it. Uh, I mean, and some venues are going out of business, and so some opportunities might not arise again. But uh, I, I'm optimistic that as, as the world receives the vaccine, there will be comedy venues, there will be opportunities. And so now I am going to, I said, no, I can't do that Kansas City gig in March. And the next day, it was offered in July. And so I'm optimistic about it. And still, like, there is a lot of unknown aspects. Uh, of, there's a lot that's unknown about the future, Scott, I guess is what huh. I would say. Okay, I didn't know that. I, I don't mean, oh, yeah, I don't mean to be controversial. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the kind of guy who knows, if he knows anything, he knows stuff about about the present and uh, maybe the past, but surely <laughs> less so. Uh, I think I think I know less about the future, but who can say? I have a lot of dreams. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I do. I do feel that. Oh, no, like uh oh, like what? No, but uh, I I'm through through some of the things that I read and through some meditative practices. I can hopefully like see those moments when they arise and. Uh, laugh at them and be grateful for them and, you know, and experience them and feel them and process them and do my best to, you know, understand and get through. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for talking. Oh, thank you for insightful. asking. Um, well, um, good. I got yeah. stuff. I'm just going to put up this interview. I was uh, like, great. I, I was thinking about how you're an example of like, I like, I saw the Michael Jordan documentary. Have you seen that? The, uh, it's, it's not about Michael Jordan. It's a, it's about the last season of the bulls with Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. Um, and with their whole team, and I like sports documentaries. I don't like sports that much, but I like sports documentaries. Sure. So I just, I'm fascinated by him as like a person who pursued one thing and so hard, like, and, and that is one of the things that made him stand apart was that he was his other people were doing like studying, working on being good students or working on whatever their personal lives. And he just did that. And I see that. And like, I'm fascinated with like Britney Spears, who's like just made to be a pop star all of her life. And, and what, what level can be attained by doing that and what sacrifices come or what sacrifices are are committed by pursuing one thing also. Sure. Do you, I mean, is there anything that you do that you've done throughout your life that like you love doing all the time that you do it? And if you had unlimited time, you would do it more than you do? I think I'm afraid to commit to that stuff. I think because of like, you might've heard it in the questions that I asked that I feel like if one one thing I've realized about myself is that I'm, I've spent my main driver in life is avoiding criticism. So, um, I became a pancake juggler because there were no other pancake jugglers. I, I played organized sports when I was a kid, but my dad was very critical of how I played sports and how I practiced. So I started doing magic and juggling and all these other things that nobody else around me was doing and that nobody really had a say in whether I was doing it right or not. And then 
um, when I got into the world of supporting myself, I didn't work very hard to make money because I didn't want people to think that I was trying to make money and then they could judge me on a scale of whether I was successful or not. Um, and so I feel like these, my pursuits in life have been, I've been very curious about a lot of things and that has like helped me get to the place where I am right now, which is amazing. I get to help a lot of people and I get to entertain a lot of people. Um, entertainment, being an entertainer has been my primary thing and it's been something that I could kind of do stealth, stealthfully until I actually got good at it. And then I could come out as already being ahead of the curve, but also people don't, most of mainstream, most people don't understand that I'm good at it. Like in a way, because like people will come up to me after a show and say, how long have you been doing this? How long have you been on doing shows? And I'm like, Oh yeah, since I was 11. And then they're like, wait, because they, because my style is so messy that they think that I've lucked into succeeding that night a lot of times. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, uh, do you know Kate Berlant? Yeah. Uh, I love her. And uh, the very first time I saw her, she like, she and I think Jacqueline Novak and John Early like ran uh, like a, a small show in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And, uh, and she was hosting, I think, or doing a set and, I was watching her and I was like transfixed and I didn't understand because it was the first time I'm seeing her and it was like you know, years ago and I didn't know if she knew what she was doing, but I was like, I couldn't take my eyes off. I was like, this is, I don't under, because I'd never seen whatever it was that she was doing before. And then I saw her again another time and she did like a different set and I had the same experience. And then the third time I was like, She's doing this on purpose. She's clearly like, I don't understand exactly how she's doing what she's doing, how she's, you know, created this character or coming up with these ideas or being present or improvising, what, whatever it was. Like, I couldn't even quote much of it to you. Mm -hmm. But I was like, oh, like, there's a thing I saw once at uh, in the People's Improv Theater backstage. There was a a sign for like improvisers saying like, assume that everything's on purpose and everyone's a genius, uh, which is like, you know, if you don't have any other evidence, why not? Uh, and, <laughs> and so, you know, like trust and verify, but you know, if you can't verify, why not trust? And so I felt like it seems to me that you, you are a similar way in, in that story that you just told to the way that I felt about Kate, who I, I think is a genius. Uh, and that the same way, the way that I was like, the goal is to become yourself. Like you like can't even be mistaken for like any other specific category of thing. You're only, you know, Scott Neary, you know, entertainer, uh, extraordinaire, purveyor of fine uh, entertainments. Um, so, and that, I mean, I've also always, as long as we've known each other, uh, from our conversations, from this conversation, from our emails, like your, it's so I'm I'm and I'll I'm be I'd be excited to have you on my podcast at some point and ask you more questions, but 
it seems to me that there's a Scott neariness, you know, that, uh, that exists, that you exude because even though you haven't been specifically pursuing only juggling or only magic or only music or only anything, you have been exclusively, you know, racking up Malcolm Gladwell style tens of thousands of hours of Scott neariness, you know, <laughs> yeah. that this curiosity, that this inquisitiveness, like it's all, you know, bubbling beneath the surface of everything that you do. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, I love, I love a certain kind of fulfilling entertainment situation. Like I'm very objectively driven in entertainment and I want to, I know what it feels like in a room. Like that's why it doesn't bother me when people come up to me and say that it looks like I'm an amateur because, because they'll go over and compliment something they recognize, even if it wasn't good. You know, they'll go like, oh, I love those blonde jokes you did or whatever to somebody else, you know? And, and I know like, I'm that they're, they, they aren't the expert. They don't need to be the expert. They're the audience member. And I know what happened to them when I was on stage. And I, <laughs> I know what ha happened in the room when that other performer was on stage and I know what experience I want to create. So I'm like, so driven to make that experience continue to happen and continue to refine it and grow it and codify it and figure out how to, how to give that to other people, whether it's our future robot overlords or whatever to make really incredible gamified, fulfilling experiences for people. Um, so that's, that's the thing. Like if I had unlimited funds, I think I'd be doing what I am doing right now, which is creating stuff and, consulting with people and coaching people because I can like I can just tell somebody like here's what you're going to do here's how to fix exactly the thing you're trying to do and they go off and do it and come back and they're like this and I'm like yeah that's done without me sitting in front of a computer or whatever it's oh, so yeah. fun it's way easier to have somebody else do their work um, <laughs> <laughs> One other thing that uh, whether you include all of this or not, uh, I'm, I'm happy either way, but just to tell you, so I played violin from when I was four uh, and like sort of through high school and then some in college and some into my 20s, but like not in, in, in my 20s, I'm more focused on guitar and comedy and I can still take out the violin and like, you know, I can play a little bit, but uh I remember I didn't practice as much as I was supposed to, you know, I was supposed to do like a half hour a day at a certain point, an hour a day. Like I knew that I know now that my teacher could tell, you know, like I was a good sight reader. I could like fake it a little bit, but uh, I remember thinking specifically like I'm good. Like yeah, I started early and I, I had, my parents were music teachers and musicians. And so I had this some perhaps either natural or nurtured talent from early on. And I, I was like, so I have this talent, I'm good. And I was like, just imagine how good I'd be if I did work as hard as I was supposed to. And to me, that was enough at a time to be like, just imagine this would be like, I'd be double as good. When in fact, I'm pretty sure that if I did, you know, at a certain point, once you're good, the, uh, the graph gets 
like way closer to like, you know, it's like an asymptote, like approaching the best you can possibly be. It's not just going exponentially up, 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 up. And, but so it felt better to be like, oh man, imagine I'd be double good as opposed to if I actually put in the work to, which I, I feel like connects that I thought of it because it, I resonate with the idea of like, one of the reasons, I don't know if this is why you don't, you don't want to be criticized. So you don't want to like, if you work hard at something and you get good at something like along the way, like whether it's comedy or whatever, you're going to have times when people don't like it or people let you know that it isn't what they wish it was and it might not be what you wish it is and so it is sometimes easier to not do something than you know to do something be bad at it on the way to being good at it yeah what do you think what do you think is a that's too intellectual (laughs) what do you think is like a a trait that's that people have that um, that doesn't, I don't know. I'm doubting my question. Oh, no, I think it's going to be great. great <laughs> well, I question. see like, so, <laughs> so with booby trap, I was, we were putting up 14 people, 15 people, 15 acts in a night every week and for five years. And I was getting submissions of different people doing things and people. So the main thing was we were booking acts. Um, we most, almost everybody that we put in the show was an act of that was ready for four minutes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about finding somebody that's funny and putting them on stage. So, so what I found was that people don't, most people don't do that. They don't put together an act. They don't put together something that's solid that they believe in that, that works. And like even, a magician might be like, I need like 12 minutes to really get into. And I'm like, well, that's, there are plenty of shows for that. I'm sorry. But sure. But I'm, but I was fascinated by that. What separates those people? What separates the people that have their set act that they, some people do a four minute act all their career. That's what they do. They travel around the world doing handstands for four minutes or whatever. And it's perfection. And some people, never get that never get to that um in the same way you pursue comedy and you've gone through a lot of like pass or fail situations with that and oh yeah i mean so what do you think what do you think separates you from the people that don't want to commit to being a specialist like that uh perhaps one thing that springs to mind is that I don't necessarily conceive of it as pass fail and uh, that every, you know, every five minute or four minute or, you know, short open mic set that I would ever do, like I would see as like learning something from it, that if a joke didn't work one way, one night, then that didn't mean it wasn't going to work another way, another night, or even that way, another night. Uh, And so it all felt like, like I talked to a guy who's a writer and a comedian, and he told me, like, I'm focusing more on writing than stand-up because I feel like if I go to a stand-up show uh, and it doesn't go well, then I feel like that night was wasted. But I could have I could have been home and written 12 pages. I was like, isn't it possible that the 12 pages that you wrote might not have been good 
or made it into like your final product. And he's like, yeah, but it's like steps towards it. And I'm like, that's, you're a writer and I'm a comedian. Like <laughs> you're like, like Edison, you know, said that I think there were like 999 or 900, 9,999 like steps to get to the light bulb that he saw as not failures, but you know, well, that one doesn't work. So that's one more step closer to it working, which means every step is working. And so I think it's some combination of uh, like delusional confidence that that is what's happening or will happen or like not caring uh, about what other, you know, what, like you said, you, not that you don't care what people think. I think that's, but you don't care about the audience member who doesn't understand what you're doing's criticism of what you're doing because you know more than them about what you're doing. And so I think it's a dedication, just a, a dedication to a, your, your vision or your future vision, you know, that, that leads to being like, I'm going to do this enough that eventually it'll be good. And so that means that in, in this moment, it's good because this is the best that it can be right now on its way to becoming better. Whereas some people might be afraid of like showing people that being like, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather nothing than like somebody see me on my way to being good. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Of course. Thank you for hope, having me. Um, it's, I love your Christmas scene. And oh, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you and I learned a lot. And I think that um, all the kitties at home are going to really enjoy this. I hope so. Uh, well, <laughs> thanks again for reaching out. And uh, I'll be in touch with you at some point in 2021 for you to be on my podcast if you'd like. Sweet. Thanks, man. Cool. Good Have night. a good fun. <laughs>